0: Right. Speaking of standing, if you'll remain standing, we're going to read from James chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-five. A very familiar portion of scripture. Here's what James writes: Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I wonder if Nike got their "Just Do It" from this verse. (laughs) Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for just these few verses this morning that remind us of the uh, temptation and the problem of just listening to God's Word, and not putting it into practice. And James says, and you say, if we do that, we're, we're kidding ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves. So this morning we pray that as we look into the mirror of your Word, Lord, that you would um, shine your light of your Word and your Spirit on our hearts. And Lord, may we have open, receptive hearts to not just hear your Word, But to also uh, have life change come into our lives, Uh, help us to be obedient, help us to uh, take God's word and do it, put it into practice. And thank you for the promise that when we do that, we will be blessed. Lord, thank you for the promises of God that we can build our lives on, uh, even in the difficult moments. Thank you for the promise absent from the body, present with the Lord. So, Lord, open up our hearts to your word today, and we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us over the last uh, several months, we have decided to look at some of the minor prophets um, that are in uh, the Old Testament, and uh, we've so far looked at two of them. There's 12 of them. I'll put you at ease. We're not going to look at all 12, But we'll look at a few of the minor prophets, and we started out uh, by looking at Habakkuk. And uh, Habakkuk was a pre-exilic prophet. What we mean by that is that he was prophesying to God's people uh, before they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Remember, there was a 70-year captivity. And his message was a warning of, turn back to God, or judgment is coming, they didn't they listened to the word they didn't put it into practice and judgment came and for 70 years uh, God's people lived as exiles in the land of of Babylon now we're looking at a prophet called Haggai and he is a post-exilic prophet by that we mean now he's prophesying to God's people and they are back in the land they're back in Jerusalem. They're back in their homeland. And um, God uses Haggai to, uh, to speak to, to them. And so we're going to look at this little book. It's two chapters long. There are four oracles that God gives, four messages over a four-month period of time. It's fascinating. Each one is dated. We know the exact date. This is 520 B.C. Uh, And so, uh, here's here's the timeline. Judah was taken into captivity in 605 B.C. In 586 B.C., Solomon's temple was completely destroyed, completely demolished. In 539 B.C., a new world power is on the scene. It's the Medo-Persian Empire. And now King Cyrus issues an edict. You can read it in Ezra chapter 1. And he's allowing God's people to come back to their homeland. And so uh, the first wave of Jews that came back, there were about 50,000 of them. And we read this in the book of, of Ezra, that they came back, and the first thing they did was they built an altar on the place where the temple stood. And they began to offer sacrifices. And then they built a foundation for a temple so that they could worship. And after the foundation was built, opposition came. And we mentioned when we looked at this a couple of weeks ago that whenever you get busy doing what God wants you to do, you might as well just expect opposition. And that's what happened for the Jews. Uh, The Samaritans and those in the land did not want them to rebuild that temple. And so opposition came and the Jews got discouraged and they stopped working. And so for about 14 years in Jerusalem, there was a foundation for a building, but no walls, no temple. And that's where the prophet Haggai comes, because in 520 B.C., about 14 years after they had laid that first foundation, um, God comes to Haggai, and he says, here's a message for God's people. And it was given on September 1st, 520 B.C., and the message is this, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is Haggai one two. These people say, God's people, the time has not come yet, come for us to rebuild God's house. Uh, it's not time to 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 build God's house. Well, been sitting there with just a foundation for fourteen years. What's the problem? And so God asks a very probing question in verse four from through the uh, prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while God's house remains in a ruin? In other words, he's saying to God's people, you've rebuilt your houses, you've got nice paneled homes, your lake home is done, and here God's house is sitting with no walls, just a foundation. What's the problem? And the problem was their wrong priorities. And God points that out to them. Uh, why isn't life going well for them right now? Verse uh, 9, chapter 1, because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy building your own houses. And God says, Therefore I've withheld my blessing on you. And so uh, that was chapter one. And guess what happened? The people got busy doing God's work. Three weeks after this message, they start to rebuild the walls, and the temple work uh, continues. Well, then we looked at, at chapter 2, and this is all just by way of review. This was uh, message number 2 from God. Four messages over four months, and uh, here it is in chapter 2, verse 1, in the second year of King Darius on the 21st day of the seventh month. We know the exact date. This is October 21st, 520 B.C., when we looked at this passage last week, uh, there were three questions, uh, three commands to Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the, the spiritual leader, and God's people, and God says, I want you to be strong. Yes, you face some opposition. More opposition is coming, but you need to be strong in rebuilding the temple. God gave them three reminders, and then God gave them three promises. One of the promises um and if you remember if you were here last week uh we looked at Ezra where when they built the the foundation of the second temple and the the long timers that have been here for a really long time they began to cry and weep because it was so much smaller than Solomon's temple and, and and they were they were they were crying and weeping because it didn't hold a candle to the first temple but God gives a promise at the end of Chapter or the middle of chapter 2, rather, uh, verse 9, Haggai two, nine. the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Oh, the glory of the second temple is going to be greater than Solomon's temple. How is that? And the reason that, that God said that is because, guess who set foot in the second temple that they rebuilt? Jesus did the messiah first of all when joseph and mary came in to to after jesus was born but uh, as we look at the the new testament we see that uh, joseph and mary as good jews regularly made at least three pilgrimages to jerusalem to celebrate the feasts and jesus came along we read about one story that he he was a 12-year-old boy and remember that story that uh, they were returning home and they forgot jesus and he was in the temple and he was interacting with the, the, the rabbis and they were amazed at, at his interaction. And so the glory of the second temple was greater than first. Why? Because Jesus was there. And what makes our, our lives glorious, what makes our worship uh, glorious, it's when uh, we experience the presence of God in our worship and in our uh, day-to-day life. Well, that's going to bring us to Haggai chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at verses 10 through 19 and uh, think about the blessing of obedience, the blessing of obedience. So before we get to the, the passage, I want to step back and just, I think you have an insert in your bulletin entitled, Understanding the Old Testament Law. And this will help us understand this passage, Understanding the Old Testament Law. And so, in the Old Testament, there are three categories of God's law. You won't read this stated in in the Old Testament, but this is what theologians have done. They've studied the Old Testament and discovered three different areas of God's law. And if we don't understand those three areas, we'll get very confused reading the Old Testament. For instance, I remember uh, very clearly uh, at our first church and we were I was teaching a Sunday school class and I forget what passage we were looking at. And I remember um one of the ladies raised her hand and uh, this was kind of pertinent to our discussion but she was quoting a verse from I think it was from Deuteronomy that talked about women not wearing jewelry. And she was adamant in saying that that it was wrong and sinful for for believers and women to wear jewelry. And I'm like, where did you get that? And then she quotes a verse from the Old Testament. Well, there are three categories of law. Uh, very quickly, the civil law. This is like our our laws that we have in our our country to govern uh, our daily lives. Uh, these laws reflect social concerns and deal primarily with relationships and settling. Ex- uh, disputes; these laws have reference to slaves, injury to others, property rights, money lending, and many other concerns. The civil law expired with the demise of the Jewish civil government. So this was this was how the the, the God's people as a government were to function. I'll give you an example of that? It's Exodus chapter twenty-two. Um, Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. This is interesting. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, while he can see, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. So these are laws that are going to govern uh, how life functions. Then there's a ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was how Israel uh, worshipped, and it had to do with uh, the seven feasts that they were to uh, observe in Leviticus 23, how they were to worship. It had to deal a lot with things that are considered holy and things that are considered not holy. And the ceremonial law expired with the priestly work of Jesus Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus fulfilled the the, the ceremonial law. None of you brought a lamb this morning to sacrifice, did you? you? Have to do that. Jesus made that once and for all sacrifice. And then there's the moral law. The moral law is the ten, like the Ten Commandments. The, the, these are God's uh, uh Eternal principles and laws that are still, uh, still in place. So, having said that, we're going to look at Haggai chapter two, and beginning in verse ten, because God starts this uh, next oracle with a question, and actually two questions. And these questions will sound strange to us, but they would not sound strange to uh, the nation of Israel because they would be very familiar with this. So here it is, at Haggai 2.10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, on the 24th day on the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests, they were the interpreters of the law, ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, so there's holy meat, and they're carrying it in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does the other food, it, become consecrated? In other words, here's some meat that is holy, it's set apart to sacrifice God, and if it touches some other food, does that make that food holy? And the priests say, the answer is no, it does not. Then Haggai said, verse 13, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, and there's lots of laws about that in the Old Testament, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? And now the priests answer, yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled and so here's the uh, here's the the principle that is being uh, shared that holy touches unholy the unholy object remains remains unholy but if unholy touches holy then that holy thing is defiled. Think about how germs and disease spread. All right, so here is, a, is a, someone that is uh, sick, and they uh, come into a room full of healthy people. What can happen? You You can catch that sickness. But now you have a room full of sick people, and a healthy person comes in, and that doesn't that doesn't make the other people healthy. They can just get defiled and get, get sick. So that's that's the, the principle that as they interpret the Old Testament law. And so we're going to look at the principle applied. Why is God asking these questions? And so let's look at the principle applied. Here it is, verse 14. So it is with this people, God's people, and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. So God says, this is an example of God's people. That because there has been sin in their life, that their worship has been impacted. Their lives have been defiled. Verse 15, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. So before you started rebuilding the temple... What was your, what was your life like? When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vet to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So, so life wasn't going well. Why? Because you are not obeying and following God. And that defilement and sin in your life impacted your worship and, and impacted withholding God's blessing on your life. And so that's the example of Israel uh, from the past, and uh, we can read about that in, in many other uh, passages of Scripture. But let's just move on uh, now. Let's think about um, Israel's Israel's present. Israel's present, and that's found in verse verse eighteen. From this day on, now that you are obeying me, now that your heart is right, now that you're doing what you know you should be doing, which is what, rebuilding the temple rather than letting it sit there for 14 years. Now that you're doing that, God says, from this day on, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the temple was laid. Give careful thought, is there yet any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. Here's God's promise. From this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. If you, if you want a good chapter to kind of get um, understanding of the entire Old Testament and Israel's history, Deuteronomy 28 is uh, is will give you some perspective on the big picture of what's going on in the Old Testament. And it's basically uh, Deuteronomy 28, the first 14 verses. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today, the Lord God will set you high above all the nations on earth and all these blessings will come on you. The basic principle to God's people If you obey me, I'm going to bless you. And he lists all the blessings. But then we come to verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. And the rest of the chapter, and it's a long one from verse 16 through 68, God delineates what that's going to look like. You're going to go into captivity. Your land's not going to be fruitful. And so um, God is saying in Haggai 2, now that you're obeying me, now that you're rebuilding the walls of the temple and your priorities are, are right, from this day on, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And so that's the, that's the promise that God uh, gives as the people continue to uh, work on the temple. Well, this morning in the last 15 minutes here, we're going to just think about um, what this passage means for us. And so let's look at three life lessons from Haggai uh, chapter 2. Three life lessons from Haggai chapter 2. Here's the first one, is this. Beware the danger... And I'm talking about our relationship with God and our worshiping God. Beware the danger of outward conformity with no inward reality. Beware the danger of just trying to look good on the outside and go through the motions and not really having a heart for God, having a heart for worship and following him. This was the problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament. Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for the most religious people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were looked up in Israel as the uh, the interpreters of God's law and and they were revered. And God comes to them and read Matthew chapter 23 seven woes. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're like a whitewashed sepulcher. You look good on the outside, you're rotten on the inside, and he just hammers them. Why? Because they had outward conformity but no inward reality and the Messiah was right there in front of them and they they didn't they didn't recognize it. In fact, they um harshly criticized and didn't understand who Jesus was. They had all sorts of rules and regulations and misinterpreted the law to get their own way. Mark chapter 7, and this is, we don't have time to to look at this, This, but one of the commands was honor your father and mother from Exodus chapter 20. So here's what the Sadducees and Pharisees did. They kind of came up with a little loophole And they would make a vow, and it sounds really good. They would make a vow and say, I have devoted everything I have to God. Oh, that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Everything I have belongs to God. And so here they are, and their mother or father has a need of some sort. And uh, that's one of the ways we honor our parents is that if we can, we meet their needs and they'll In their later years, that's very clear from scripture. We have that responsibility. But the Pharisees would say, I'm paraphrasing, I'd really like to help you mom and dad, but you know I've given everything to God. So I can't help you. That's what they did all the time to circumvent God's law and God's truth. And yet they, you know, they thought they were the most holy people. In fact, in, in Matthew where Jesus talks about you know, how to pray and how to fast and these spiritual disciplines, don't be like the Pharisees who go out on the street corner so they can be seen by men. Beware the danger of, of walking through the motions. You know how easy it is simply to go through the motions of a church service? I have been, because I grew up in a pastor's home. I've been in church every Sunday for sixty-seven years, give or take one or two Sundays a year. <laughs> I, I, I have I, I from from the time I was two weeks old and. And growing up in a pastor's home, obviously we were there every Sunday. I've been at this for a long time and it is so easy to just kind of go through the motions. To just have this as another checklist of things to do. In fact, I remember growing up and it was middle of three boys and we used to beg my dad and mom because we'd go on, we'd go on vacation and my dad was a pastor and he was always interested in like, what other churches were like and uh, what they did. And, and so we'd be on vacation and he'd find a, a, a good Bible teaching church in the area and we'd go to church Sunday morning. And then here became the discussion back when everybody had mostly the Sunday night services like, do we have to go back Sunday night? Come on, Dad, we're on vacation, please. <laughs> oh, it's so easy just to have this as another checklist to view our Bible study and our prayer time as just uh, something that we can check off our, our to-do list. And so we need to be aware of the danger of outward conformity and no inward reality. fact of the matter is, as the principle is illustrated to to um, to Israel, sin in our life hinders and impacts our worship. Uh, let me, let me read Isaiah chapter one. And this is God's message to God's people. This is before they went into exile. And actually he uses an analogy, uh, to God's people. He calls them, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of your God, you people of Gomorrah. He's talking to God's people. And he's likening them to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you, even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. And what does God tell them to do? Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widows. He's saying, obey my word. And so, uh, beware of the danger of outward conformity and no inward reality. Jesus uh, points out a principle in Matthew chapter 5 about our worship and um, the priority of being in right relationship with one another and with God before we come and worship him. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, it's it's worship time. And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. You're at odds with another believer. Leave your gift there in front of the altar, first, and go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Ah, God says Uh, You need to make things right and then come and worship. You know, one of the key things that's happening in this movement of God that's spread in the last uh, three weeks across many, many college campuses and um, those uh, meeting times and some of these worship times went on 24-7 for a couple weeks, at least certainly in Asbury um, University it did. But what was going on with a lot of that was that um, people were getting right with God, repenting of sin, confessing their sin to God and getting right with one another. And so uh, beware the danger of outward conformity with no inward reality. Secondly is this, uh and we've talked about this as we've gone through the minor prophets, that we need to take regular spiritual inventory A regular inventory of our spiritual lives. We need to take regular inventory of our spiritual lives. Psalm 139, the last two verses, here's the prayer of the psalmist. Search me, God, and know my heart. And he certainly does. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, would you show me where I need to change? Would you show me if there's sin in my life and lead me in your, your ways? That's the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 before we observe the Lord's table. Paul says, let a man examine himself. Don't, don't come to remember the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross without first taking time to take inventory of your life and your relationship with God. And thank God for First John 1, 9, that promise. If we confess our sin, homo legale, say the same thing that God says about sin, but he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to do that on a regular, routine basis. Otherwise, you know, spiritual drift happens. Um, I'm thinking, you all have had this experience, um, and occasionally in the summertime, maybe once, while we're at Maranatha, and I'm not a big water person, but we get out in, in Lake, Lake Michigan, and, and the, the waves are... The waves are, are crashing and so you're out there and you walk straight out from where your little setup is and your towel is and you're out in the lake for jumping the waves for like 20 minutes and then it's time to go in and you look up and I'm like, I can't find my stuff. Why is that? Because the force of that gradually just moves you and you can end up, uh, you know, 100 feet from where you started. And that's the same, uh, is true, uh, in our spiritual lives. Well, lastly, is is this uh third life lesson and uh, this is a quote i believe from uh Dr. George Sweeting who is probably in his late 90s uh these days uh former president of Moody Bible Institute and now uh president emeritus or chancellor and i heard him say this many times at Moody Pastors Conference he's here's the third truth the christian life is a series of new beginnings the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Did you catch that in the, the last part of uh, our text this morning? God says, From this day on, I forget what the exact date was in the text. It's there. From this day on, guess what? I'm going to bless you. Why is that? Because you're now you're walking with God. And you're you're obeying Him. And so the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Not talking about justification in our life, where we put our faith in Christ and we don't have to keep getting saved again and again and again. There are some that don't believe in eternal security. We're talking about our sanctification. Then in our Christian walk, uh, there are some times where we take three steps forward and two steps backwards. But the Christian life is always an opportunity what, we'll to have a new beginning. And to put a line in the sand and to say, from this day forward, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to choose to serve you. So what changed for God's people after 14 years of delaying doing God's will? They repented of their sin of not rebuilding the temple walls and they got busy working. And God says, now you're on the right track. Now I will bless you. And that principle is all through Scripture. The Scripture passage we read this morning, where does blessing come from? Not just hearing God's Word. If you just hear it and walk out and say, oh, that was a nice sermon. You deceive yourselves, but what? Putting it into practice. How can we make this practical this morning? Number one, now What? We need to examine our lives and uh, regularly and come clean before God. I love the old hymn, and I found it in uh, one of our hymn books uh, in the auditorium. Nothing between, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasures. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. My life is right with you, God. So we need to ask the question is, is there something that I'm doing in my life right now that God's word says I shouldn't be doing, that I need to stop doing? But we also need to ask the question, is there something in God's word that says I should be doing and I'm not? James four seventeen, The person that knows the good they ought to do and they don't do it, sins. So there's sins of commission, that's breaking God's law, but we can also sin by doing nothing <laughs> because we're not doing what we know God wants us to do, and that was God's people. God wanted them to rebuild those temple walls, and they just sat there and took care of their own homes and said, let somebody else do it. And so we need to, to take um, come clean before God and examine our lives. We need to commit to spiritual integrity Make sure that we're the same person uh, at church, at home, at work. We don't put on a facade and put our holy jacket on and come to church and look good and live totally different ways the rest of the week. Another good thing to do is to have an accountability partner. To have another person in your life is, Proverbs, I think it's twenty seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron. To have a regular person that you can just get down to brass tacks with, and, you know, we like to talk about the weather and the sports and the ice storm and et cetera, et cetera, but uh, to really uh, take inventory of um, these important issues of life. Well, Haggai chapter 2, you want God's blessing on your life? Follow God's word god 's truth god's principles, and put it into practice and He will bless you let's pray together this morning Lord thank you for uh, your word thank you for uh this passage of scripture written twenty five hundred years ago, and yet it speaks to us today and Lord, I pray that uh, you would save us from just uh, walking through the motions of worship. Lord, you desire truth in the inner parts. And Lord, I pray that even as we close our service this morning and we just maybe take a moment to pause and ask you to put the searchlight of your Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, show us where we need to change. Show us where we need to stop doing some things that that we're doing. And, Lord, would you also show us what we need to do or what we need to start doing. And, Lord, we thank you that as we take inventory and confess our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, thank you for your victory cry from the cross. To tell us that it's finished, our salvation's been purchased. Our trust is in you and you alone. Lord, may we encourage one another. May our lives be changed because we've uh, been here today. And Lord, we will give you all the praise and all the thanks. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.